0: Welcome to another episode of Doe, a podcast dedicated to dough cases
1: from around the world. I'm Kat. And I'm Allie. So you may have heard that Lime Lady, who we covered in episode 10, got her identity back. Uh, she was found on April 18th, 1980, near Jones, Oklahoma, in eastern Oklahoma County. She was shot to death and then likely dumped by the North Canadian River and covered in lime, hence the name. Police thought she'd been killed somewhere else and her body dumped by the river. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office and the DNA Doe Project announced on January 30th that Lime Lady was Tamara Lee Tigard. Yay, go DNA Doe Project. Yes, we love them. Yes. And also go Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office, because that's really good. So, a quote from the press conference from Karen Binder with the DNA Doe Project. She said that, Tamara Lee Tigard was born on April 18th, 1959, in California, at the time of her disappearance, she was living in Las Vegas, Nevada, and she was reported missing from there in March of 1980. She was a veteran who had served in the U.S. Army, and she had parents and a sibling all living on the West Coast who are now deceased. So that is a direct quote because there's no better way to
0: Right, put it. and she had the tattoo that they were like, biker gang, but <laughs> if she was part of the
1: Army, that's... People we'll get tattoos in the Army. Yeah, that's like a really common thing. Yep. So... In September 2018, Captain Bob Green contacted the DNA Doe Project about the case. They forwarded a blood stain and an oral swab to the DNA Doe Project. Tamara's kit was uploaded to GEDmatch on October 31st, and on November 2nd, the DNA Doe Project told Bob Green they had a potential match. So that's a very quick turnaround. Oh my god. I know. And this is taken directly from the DNA Doe Project's Facebook page, because they're the people doing this, and they said it much better than I could have ever summarized. The process of obtaining usable DNA from the remains was challenging. The DNA was finally sequenced by Hudson Alpha Discovery and the results were uploaded to GEDmatch. Within a day and a half, uh, their team of volunteer genealogists identified a likely name for Lady, and then the Oklahoma Medical Examiner's Office was able to confirm the identification of Tamara Lee Tigard in December 2019 through a match of dental records obtained from the United States Army. The Sheriff's Office is now focused on solving Tamara's murder. Karen Binder said in the press conference that her closest match on Judd match was a second cousin once removed.
0: So that's actually pretty close because usually it's like six cousins.
1: Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, So a quote from the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office, Captain Bob Green said, he said, now that we know who she is, we can hopefully restore some dignity back to her by giving her her name back. And he also said, now she can be properly recognized, her life has meaning, and we can respectfully honor her yeah
0: especially generally with military they want to do like a lot of honoring and that makes any sense no
1: it does there's like military honors yeah
0: and probably like a military funeral depending
1: yeah i none of my family really was i'm in- just
0: like basing it off of tv
1: yeah that makes sense yeah that's about what i know too i just know that um my granddad who was a veteran went to the legion yep yep my that's granny that's what i know my granny yep. was
0: part of the legion dark
1: team my
0: dad's thinking of joining the legion now because his parents were both involved mm-hmm. and then he can go hang out with uh old dudes at the legion and drink cheap beer yeah i should tell my dad to go do
1: that too yeah. <laughs> We can go together yeah <laughs> There's the dad outing for real um okay so my quote that i wrote was you love to see it you just love to see it there's like a oh, dedicated I'm like,
0: love to see what
1: oh just it <laughs> <I'm> like what's <laughs> happening you love to see a dedicated police force and you can tell that Bob Green really cares from the way that he's talking in the press conference. So Anytime it, one
0: of these are solved, it's because somebody who came in contact with the case at some point in their career latches on and never forgets it. And yep. then even past retirement, they are determined to get it solved. And now I guess they have to figure out or try and figure out like who killed her, which is that's the hard part that is i mean it, the hard part is also identifying but this this long after hard to say how the evidence is yeah
1: because um, we know that there's a lot of cases where if it's because this was a while ago now like yeah. 40 years ago ish um so also here's a, just a little note um i apologize for the sound quality on our end in this episode (laughs) because i forgot to flip a switch and i forgot to check too and uh emma who is a super professional she had her audio all good on her end all set she was perfect
0: paired and there's I
1: just shit the bed I feel like no
0: we're we're both we both failed it was an oopsie because we should know by now because we've done this before we have like the first few episodes we realized that we had not been using the proper mic and
1: then we fixed it and why does one of us sound like we're down a well what is this I think what happened was I was just so excited that we were going to be talking Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. Emma that I just like I just blinked we were just like okay Zencaster's working. We're good. Let's Yay, go. We're good. Yeah, we just we just wanted to talk. So and yeah. Oopsie. Someday. Uh, Someday we'll figure this out. Also, my second fuck up this episode. What was the second one? Oh <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I really butchered Guadalajara like in a bad way. I'm so I'm seriously so sorry. It's really bad. Caitlin's like dying right now because she tried to warn me. She was like, <laughs> it's, it's so said funny. this way, and I just like blew right through. <laughs> it's so so I apologize. I know how it's said right now. And I feel like this would be a good time to also mention that I fucked up the pronunciation of Opelika. Oh, yeah, that. We thought that it was Opelika, but yeah. it's Opelika. Yeah. Um, and a listener named Larissa let us know. So thank you so much, Larissa.
0: We love being corrected on pronunciation because
1: sometimes we just don't
0: know. So.
1: Yay, update. Updates and corrections. And now on to the rest of the episode.
0: Hey, Dope Podcast listeners, Cece here, the host of the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. We focus on cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma, and since the term Sooner actually refers to the state's very first true crime, cheaters in the land run, Oklahoma is definitely a crime state. Sooner State True Crime can be found in most podcast apps, or visit our website anchor.fm slash crime state new episodes are released twice a month follow us on twitter at crime state for upcoming episodes and more so come away with me and discover my crime state on the sooner state true crime podcast and we have a very special guest on with us today
2: Hello, my name is Emma. I'm from the True Crime Witch Podcast. Thank you so much to Kat and Ali for having me on this episode.
1: We are so excited that you're here with us. Kind in, of. In, in, on the internet. In a different country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with yeah, us. Yeah, are the internet waves. Uh, so you two, Caitlin and Emma, both have the unsolved. An- an unidentified. Unidentified, yeah. Okay.
0: So I am doing the case of Markham Doe. Sources for this case are from yorkregion.com, a November 24th, 2009 article, Unidentified Wikia, Canada's Missing, which is like our RCMP database of unidentified people. And then three articles from murdervillage.com, which is Murder to Markham by Sawyer Cowley, Identified 42 Years Later by Sawyer Cowley, and Slain at 17 by Lee Scoboni. On July sixteenth, nineteen eighty, around eight thirty p.m., a man driving in Markham, Ontario, pulled over on the east side of Eleventh Concession Road, about one kilometer north of Steeles Avenue, and found skeletal remains. I don't know why he pulled over. I don't know if it was because he saw something and pulled over, or if it was just a coincidence, or he's
1: psychic and he's are he psychic? Is the spot.
0: Why not? The remains were biologically male. However, female clothing and possessions found in relation to the remains indicate that the individual might have been female in gender. Since this is unknown, I will refer to Markham Doe as they. Markham Doe was determined to be white, approximately 30 to 50 years old, and 5'1 to 5'5. Their straight brown hair was four inches long, and dark staining on some of their teeth indicated they might have been a smoker. Their teeth had some fillings, and there was evidence of some tooth extractions long before death, so long enough that the bone had regrown and where the parts were. The clothing found with the remains might not belong to Markham Doe, but they probably did. They consisted of a pair of Britannia women's jeans with an inseam of 29 inches and a waist of 30, a red short sleeve button-up shirt, white bobby socks, and a pair of red or pink kitten heels with bows and that decoration that looks like a Peter Pan collar.
1: Oh, there's totally yeah. a name for that.
0: There is. I tried to find it and I unidentified Wiki is where I have all my pictures mm-hmm. for this. Okay. So this is the clay bust. Oh wow. They did very fancy hair. They did.
1: It's
2: yeah. very floppy. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's It looks like it's
1: oh, and I, permed maybe. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. And I love like the sideburns. <laughs> they went with
0: some sideburns. I don't know. If this was how the hair looked when it was found or if they just went for it. This sketch.
2: Oh my god.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how accurate this is. And then these sketches I love. Where I they love. put Mark in the
1: clothes. Just casually leaning. Yes. Casually posing like a catalog model. Yes, like they definitely took like a Sears catalog pose. They absolutely did and I love it. Um, here's the shoes. Oh yeah. Those are pretty snazzy shoes. I really like these shoes. Very Dorothy. Oh yes, yeah, those are very Dorothy. And the picture of the shoe at the scene—it
0: kind—I don't know if that's just dirt or if that's part of the foot, because it looks like it could be um, some bones from the foot. Which, if it is, then that would indicate that the clothing belonged to Markham Depp. Right.
1: I yeah, I don't really know to be honest what I'm looking at in that. It kind of looks like it could be the talus.
0: I don't know, but what I tell it's. That's um one of the foot bones. Like there's like two big bones in the foot, like the like the heel and the main ankle bit, and then there's like your long ones, and you have all your little squiggly ones. That's the
1: scientific. Truth. Yes, that's exactly that's the how. Squiggly I mean. ones. <laughs> you have your squiggly bones. Okay. The squiggly
2: bones are in the foot. Could okay. it possibly be an insole in the shoe? That's what it looks oh, like it to could me. Be. I think
1: I think that's what it is. It looks well, like there might be like have been some writing or some texture on the mm-hmm. insole. Oh uh, yeah, it could be. So yeah, I think you're right, Anna. So with the clothes was also
0: a compact with a mirror, but I don't know what brand or what kind of powder it had. It just said a powder compact, but that could be anything. It could be blush. It could be. I always yeah. I, it could just be um, like foundation powder,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah, I don't know what brand. So it's most likely that Markham Doe was murdered. And also all the clothing uh, wasn't
1: found on the remains. It was found like next to it. Oh, so it's one of those things kind of like with Princess Doe where it's like, we think because of proximity. Exactly. So
0: in 2009, investigators followed a lead that Markham Doe might be a man named Mario Palermo, who had gone missing in December 1977, but DNA analysis ruled him out. Interestingly, Detective Douglas Clark from the York Regional Police has said that Markham Doe is likely a victim of serial killer James Henry Greenidge from Gravenhurst, Ontario.
1: Okay, mildly concerning that I've never heard of him before. I think I have, but only because when I was writing a paper for one of my classes,
0: I read... I went through every single serial killer listed on Wikipedia Oh. because I was trying to find something. Because I was writing a paper of psychologists who... Didn't follow proper procedure, which led to a serial killer being released wow. early from prison and committing crimes. It was a very specific paper. That's why I know all about Kemper.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. Bumblebot. So,
0: okay. And this is why this case ended up going longer, because I kind of went down a rabbit hole with this. So, I'll show you Greenage. This, which, so this is a very blurry mugshot of him.
1: That is a, Ooh, yeah. that mudshot looks like it's been photocopied at least 18 times right like that's
2: exactly what i was gonna say yeah
1: it's like someone's just photocopied a photocopy of a photocopy it's like those handouts you'd get in school here in. and now it's like mostly speckled and black good luck reading yep (laughs) so
0: greenage who is now known as just james henry i don't know why interesting was originally convicted for the 1955 rape of a 14-year-old girl near Euclid Street in Toronto although his crime started in 1953 according oh this is from the source that i completely forgot to put in this is a globe and mail article where i got like all the greenage stuff um by peter cheney and it was an article published march 10th 2009 and then updated 2018 i think it was just updated to say that This is an article that's about 10 years old and might not be up to date anymore. Good update. I was like, thank (laughs) you, I guess. That's how time works. Yeah. So anyway, that's where this is coming from. So he served 10 years for the rape of the 14-year-old girl. Then he was released. And of course went on to commit more violent crimes because that's what happens every single time. In 1968... He raped and murdered a male sex worker out in the country after picking him up in the gay village. So in Toronto we have this um area downtown that's just referred to as the village.
2: Yeah. We have yeah. we have exactly the same in Manchester. It is literally called the Gay Village and it's on Canal Street. What else do you need?
0: And we've gotten some rainbow crosswalks painted in now permanently, and it's great.
2: That is that's great. Yeah. We have just like a whole section of town that's just dedicated they have like their own lgbtq plus friendly clinic they have like doctors everything that you ever need is all there and i'm I'm here for it i'm here for it
0: yeah that's like what ours is too yeah oh, that's great
1: gonna, it's it's literally a village it it is. Like, i love I
0: that section. everything in it i love that area yeah, me too so that's where greenwich or james henry was pretty much looking for his victims it seems like And out in the country, um, so this would be like if they referring to Markham and stuff as the country, this would have been
1: a while ago. This is a while ago back (laughs) before the city was so built up because now Markham's like if you drive through it, it's yeah, it's very built up. There's like skyscrapers and stuff. Yeah.
0: So a week later, he tried again with a second male sex worker who luckily survived and was able to testify against James Henry, who went back to prison until 1978. I'm honestly surprised that he was convicted in the 70s for attacking a male sex worker or just a sex worker, because
1: like that never happens. Yeah, good job on that one thing, 70s. Very happy about that.
2: It's, yeah, it kind of speaks to the bravery of his victim as well, being willing to come forward. Yeah, exactly. That he wasn't
0: ashamed yeah
2: yeah. just like no this is a bad
0: person and i need to do something
2: yeah so you go whoever you are you go
0: unfortunately uh james henry was released on parole and he killed again in 1980 (sighs) so yeah why are we paroling like a violent murderer (laughs) that makes sense
2: you can't see me right (sighs) now but i am visibly shaking my head we are doing the yes, same. Yes, we thing. are all. We all disapprove. <laughs> yes. Why? This is like what is this the second or third time he's been jailed and released now? Second time. Second time. So no one's you know the parole office is paying attention to this. Clearly not.
0: It's yeah. I don't get it. No. And this time it, he killed a female sex worker in Vancouver, BC. So he was also traveling. It seems like
2: how far is that? A uh, long way. That's the other side
0: of the country. Yeah, at least a lot of prairie provinces yeah, in let's between. See. It's a three day drive to get to Alberta. Wow. And further than that. So let's say a six day drive to get to BC, maybe? Jesus. It's the same like um, if you're
1: being liberal with like your rest stop. Be- and you're behaving when it comes to speed. Yes.
2: Behaving.
1: Caitlin's <laughs> looking <laughs> perhaps does not behave when it comes to speed. <laughs>
2: It's so funny because from where I am in Manchester, which is like the north of England, down to London, is maybe three and a half, four hour drive. And if you say to someone, oh, I'm driving to London, they just look at you and go, why? Why would you want to drive for three hours? But then <laughs> in Canada, you said that, I say that to like, you know, the, the people who play hockey and stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's just the next town. I was like, what, what is wrong with yeah, you guys? That's, no, exactly. Like my original hometown is, well, it used to be like a six,
0: seven hour drive, but then they finished the highway. So now we can do it at about four or five hours. Oh, my God. No. Mm-mm. No. And that's like a quick drive. This part. So these are the links that are all murder village photos. So James Henry is also believed to be responsible for the murders of 17-year-old Richard James Dickie Hovey, 17-year-old Robert Wayne Mortimer, and 18-year-old Eric Jones, all of whom were killed in 1967. Yeah, Mortimer. So this is a mugshot a year before he was murdered. Oh. I know. So he would have been possibly 16 in this photo. Yeah, he looks really He's young. He's
2: a baby.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is from the identified 42 years later. And this is um, Eric Jones. It's a pretty blurry photo, but you can can see him. Yeah. So he.
1: Wow, so
0: young. I know. And then we have uh, Dickie Hovey in the last article.
1: Oh, he looks like just the coolest cat. Yeah, he kind of looks like Richie Valens.
0: And somebody else that I can't figure out—the hair is Richie Valens for sure. Yeah, for for sure. But yeah, he came to Toronto pursuing a music career.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So those are the known victims, and police started um, investigating if James Henry was the perpetrator. Also, in this article, you can see these clay busts. Yeah. Oh. That expression. Um, mouths don't do that. Mouths Mal- aren't in that part of the head. No. Mouths aren't in that
2: part of the head.
0: <laughs> I might do them in a solved case
2: further on,
0: but I feel like probably DNA is why they were identified because they're yeah, not yes, recognize that doesn't look like a
1: human.
2: No, it doesn't.
0: So, James Henry fits the profile of the suspected killer of these teenagers, which is a muscular black man driving a white Corvair and picking up his victims in downtown Toronto. He would then drive them out into the country, bind them with twine, rape them, then kill them, I believe by stabbing, because he... I saw that he stabbed one of his victims, so that was probably his method of choice. And so, yeah, the police think that maybe he's um, Markham Doe's murderer. But I'm wondering if they found any twine with Markham Doe, or any... Um, evidence of stabbing like you'd have it like chips on the bone right because I didn't see that anywhere because they said suspected so yeah but if it is the victim I'm because the age differences would be interesting because the youngest end is about 30 and then all his known victims seem to be in their teens so Hmm.
2: yeah perhaps in life they looked quite youthful or quite young
0: that's what I'm kind of thinking. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they were also very small, like five one five five. Wow, okay. That's taller than me, but that's still small. <laughs> and jean size, that's about what I wear. Sorry, what was the jean size? Um, 30 waist, 29 inseam. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's about yeah. what I wear. And right. then what size do you wear? It's kind of like a normal mm-hmm. standard size, really. Like, that's in, like, the yeah. middle. And if they think that James Henry is responsible for Markham Dill, then they're also... that also brings the thought that maybe markham doe was a sex worker in the village or at least originated in the village before being brought out to markham yeah so i think this one's going to have to be a solved by dna because they've like it doesn't sound like james henry is admitting to anything so yeah that that's pretty much markham doe
1: well well i hope there's an update i hope so too okay so we are just pulling up uh your case emma so we can read along with you
2: warning this case contains details about a crime committed against a child so this case won't be for everyone and please listen at your own discretion so crimes against children are always the most horrific and unimaginable that crime becomes considerably worse when the child is unidentified along with their killer the idea that there is a person out there with no one to care for them in death is heartbreaking And the possibility that that person who was supposed to care for them being responsible is even worse. Now, this crime is no different and the circumstances around Adam's death have left a lot of people in the UK very horrified and shocked that someone could do something to A, a small child and B, possibly their own child. So, a bit of background for you guys. Mm -hmm. The morning of September 21st started out like any other for London residents who were making their way through the packed streets and tube stations to make it to work. Now this was um, in 2001, so this was, you know, not long after 9-11 had happened, but in London we just, you know, got on with it in the wake of a possible terrorist threat. keep calm carry on very British like keep calm carry on and just do what you gotta do so by 4pm that Friday evening the news would be dominated by a breaking and shocking news story but it wouldn't be of anything 9-11 related or terrorist activity it would be the discovery of a torso of a young boy in the River Thames which is near the London Bridge so the boy was aged approximately four to seven years old, and he was only found wearing a pair of female orange running shorts. That's it. Do they know if they were adult running shorts or children's running shorts? I think they were children's running shorts, which kind of makes me question why they know that they're female, because with kids' clothes, yeah, there's a bit more fluidity around what a little boy or girl could wear versus what a man or a woman could wear. So he was named Adam by the police, with local tabloids running with the name of the Thames' torso. Adam was a black, unidentified child who was aged anywhere between four and seven, but was most likely between the ages of five and six. So he was a baby. And according to a Daily Mail article that is written by Ronke Phillips, The police had actually chosen to call him Adam because the lack of identity would probably be too much for the general public in the UK. Like, finding a torso of a child is one thing, but then the police admitting that they don't know who this child is is a complete other thing, so... Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it kind of gives them a bit of a personality that they can, like...
2: Yeah, it personifies... what what has happened. So not only the nature of the horrific crime against a child would propel this into the headlines for weeks on end, but the fact this would be a murder case without a victim would actually make more issues for police in their vital period of investigation. So things were very confusing for the police because, you know, you quite clearly have some sort of homicide on your hands, but you don't know who the victim is and you don't know what's happened. So how do you even go about investigating this case? Commander Andy Baker even told the press, so he told Ronkey Phillips, who wrote the other article, at the Daily Mail, and he said, quote, his name is Adam, and until we can identify him and his family, we will act as his family. End quote. Aww. Yeah. It's That's sweet. Very sweet. So It's sad and sweet. It's yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, sweet. it's it's sweet, it's a bit of sweet thing to know that You know, obviously in life it doesn't seem like he would have been cared for, but that in his death he does have someone who cares for him. So, as described by Phillips herself, so Ronky Phillips from the Daily Mail, the post-mortem details are horrific and details that anyone involved or who knows about this case will never be able to forget. So this is where it gets graphic. So, Adam had been poisoned with what is believed to have been a calabar bean, which renders someone paralysed but conscious. Oh my and god. Yeah. He had been poisoned around 48 hours before he was murdered, and then he sadly met his demise when his throat was slit.
1: That must have been terrifying. Yeah. To yeah. not, like, I'm assuming that whoever killed him wasn't like, we're gonna do this now, so he would have just been... having no idea what's happening could
0: see who was doing it and if it was like a parent or a loved one or something
2: that betrayal yeah Yeah. that level of betrayal of trust is one of the most horrifying parts about this case yeah that is really rough yeah it's it's one thing to have you know a non-family abduction a random abduction but then the complete betrayal of trust of a caregiver really adds, like, another layer of horror and complexity to the case. It's, it's pretty fucking disgusting, so... Yeah, it really is. Yep. So, his body was most likely placed upside down as this was happening so that all of the blood could be drained from his body as part of a ritual. His head and all of his limbs had been removed from his body, leaving just his torso. To add to this, it is estimated that the shorts had been added 24 hours after his death with his body being kept for another 24 hours, so he was kept for a total of around 48 hours after his murder, before he was placed into the River Thames. I, yeah, I don't know. That is insane. So, estimates from experts place Adam's time of murder, or time of death, anywhere between 1 and 10 days, or at least that is how long his body had been in the river for. So we know that whoever murdered him had kept his body for at least two days before. And this is the sad part. That further isotope testing only placed Adam in the UK for a few days before his death.
0: So the likelihood of anyone knowing who he is in the UK.
2: Mm, is very slim. It it looks like he was trafficked in. <sighs> that is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Very. According to Richard Hoskins, who is a professor at the Bath Spa University, so he's an expert in study of religions and African religions, commented that the ritual and sacrifice looked very similar to a, quote, deviant, not sure what he means by that, variety of a West African religion. And the whole reason for this ritual is that the person would have done this to gain some sort of power from Adam.
0: I'm trying to figure out which religion this is, because it sounds like one
2: Um,
0: I've read about.
2: I think I do have it further on. So if we get to it, just shout out, because shout out the episode. So more (laughs) experts from Scotland Yard commented that they believe Adam was sacrificed to Orisha, or one of the 400 ancestral gods of the Yoruba people, or Yoruba, sorry. Which yeah, yeah, is, Santeria. Yes, which they are Nigeria's second largest ethnic group. So it seems like it is some form or aspect of, of voodoo and black magic. So the link between the Yoruba people and Orisha is made for a few reasons. So one, Oshun is a river goddess and Adam was found in a river. Two... Ocean is also associated with the color orange, hence the oh. orange shorts that Adam was found in. And the final one is the final part of the theory is that further forensic testing of Adam linked him to Benin City, which is in where else? Nigeria. So, all of those three together, it sounds like that's mm-hmm. pretty. Yeah, that seems the most plausible. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, not just the
0: typical, like, we don't know, ritual killing. It's like, no, we actually have evidence to yeah, back up the here story. Are, here are.
2: So, yeah, Scotland Yard and everyone who worked on this case has done an incredible job at, like, you know, investigating this. They could have just looked at this and gone, yeah, well, we don't know, so case closed, but they didn't. They, they've they really tried with this one, so that's great. In Adam's stomach, there were also tiny clay pellets which contained pure gold, which is linked to a style of ritual, stil- sorry, ritualistic killings called muti. Now, these sacrifices hold children as sacred objects and are most often practised in sub-Saharan parts of Africa, with bodies being disposed in flowing water to complete the ritual. So again, the water aspect
0: mm-hmm. comes up. Mm-hmm.
2: Dr Hoskins of Baspar University, also revealed to the Daily Mail, that in some forms of African witchcraft, dismembered parts are used in medicine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Internal organs are used as potions, with fingers, eyeballs, and sometimes even genitals being used as charms. Mm-hmm. The head is most often buried in front of the home to ward off bad spirits. So the vital information from Dr. Hoskins may explain why only Adam's torso was found and why his body has been dismembered with such precision because it seems that this was just as much as part of the ritual. So the pathologist who conducted Adam's autopsy um, commented that the knife looked like it had been sharpened between each cut. So wow. whoever, yeah, whoever had done this had some idea of what they were doing. This wasn't a botched job by any means.
1: No, and obviously I think that shows... That they had the time and the space mm-hmm. to do that it's not just like a quick like let's get this done let's get this done it's like they're really taking their time with it and oh, they would yeah
0: have had to i wonder if it happened like in a butcher shop or something because they would have needed somewhere where the blood could drain oh that is true i never thought about that you know yeah because you can't just do it like on the floor of your house because unless blood, you have like, a bucket.
1: yeah or like hmm. you have like
0: like a dexter like yeah but it's easier if it's like a butcher shop or something set up where you're like you're hanging meat you have the drainage system easy to clean
2: yeah well from what i can tell is that obviously when adam had had his throat slit he was hung upside down so they could drain the blood so maybe they drained it into something and then the dissection came afterwards
0: yeah because it would have been easier Without the blood to then remove organs and stuff. And the shorts are probably put on after limb removal just so there was no blood on the shorts.
2: Yeah, because um, it sure. yeah. It doesn't say anything about there being blood on the shorts because then we would have evidence. So Hmm. That's yeah, probably why they
0: estimated like twenty four hours later with the shorts, is because yeah. they figured that's how it took and that blood wouldn't end up on it. Cause they might have known about well, 2001 they would have known about DNA testing. Oh, oh yeah, god. Yeah,
2: Especially in the UK. Oh, really? Well, yeah, especially, in the, like, we love crime channels. That like, any crime scandal where, like, record, record, record. We have, like, this weird obsession with, with, like, CSI programs and stuff. It's strange.
1: And I also, I was looking at Acorn TV, which is, like, the oh, British channel on Amazon Prime, and it's all just like, let's solve these murders. Oh, my <laughs> God, like it's it true.
2: I think I watched the... Part of an episode of Midsummer Murders. <gasps> I love Midsummer Murders, oh my god.
0: <laughs> it was in a circus or something.
2: Yeah, no. it's it's like so it's just so naughty the way it's filmed and the way it's done. Ugh, oh, I love it.
0: Well my favorite murder mystery book series is set in the Cotswolds.
2: Oh the Cotswolds is beautiful. It's a yeah. gorgeous place. Right. So, in Adam's case, it is believed that the remainder of his body, so his limbs and his head, were disposed of in the Thames as part of the ritual. Okay. Now, this point, I understand, contradicts the previous point I made about them being used as part of medicine, but obviously, between different subsections of religions, we don't really know what their beliefs are. As Adam's torso wasn't discovered until 4pm on September 21st, 2001... The tide had actually gone in and out over two times that day, meaning that if anything had been floating on the River Thames, it would most likely be lost at sea without anyone ever being able to find it ever again. I didn't realise the rivers had tide. Does it St. Lawrence? I have no Hmm. idea. Maybe,
0: because it's attached to the ocean.
2: I would imagine there's probably...
0: Huh.
2: I think the Thames must connect out on... I'm exposing myself for how like little I actually know about UK geography here, but it must connect outwards to the sea towards France or something. I don't know. I don't live in London. Yeah. <laughs> I, for me, the Thames is
0: just like this isolated stretch of water with nothing at either end. It's just appeared. It just
2: it's just. just like, <laughs> <a computer generated.
0: laughs>
2: there's just a start and there's just an end, and then you go, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't attach to anything. Yeah. It's just.
1: That's how geography works. That
2: is how geography works. So going back to the isotope testing, it is heavily believed that Adam was trafficked into the UK via Germany and then sold to the highest bidder so that he could be used as part of a voodoo ritual, which is sad. A tip led police to a woman called Joyce Asegi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's O-S-A-G-I-E-D-E. And she resided in Glasgow after Adam was found. Now, Joyce was a prime suspect and police heavily believed that she was involved in one way or another in Adam's case. But they faced a huge lack of evidence and the fact that she had been deported back to Nigeria. Um, From what I could find was, quote, about some doubts around her mental state. I'm not too sure about the rest of the deportation, but she wasn't in the country anymore. So... There wasn't too much they could do.
0: And then going to Nigeria to find her would probably be difficult too.
2: Well, BBC journalists journalists travelled to Benin City in Nigeria along with former detective Nick Chalmers, who had previously worked on Adam's case. So forensic testing had previously linked Adam to Benin City. So for the BBC and the ex-detective, this was the natural solid lead. So uh, when she spoke to the BBC, Joyce revealed that she had looked after Adam in the weeks leading up to his murder before he was sent to London. So I believe I said she lived in Glasgow Mm -hmm. and then he was sent all the way down to London, which I think is about five or six hours drive, maybe. It's opposite ends of the country. So someone would have had to have taken him there, you know, since he was so young (laughs) Um, so she also told BBC that um, Adam had been trafficked and his final destination was set to be London.
1: Wow. So she basically mm-hmm. like confirmed it.
2: Yeah. But... So she's... that The way that she says his final destination as well is... That's, that's troubling. troubling. Yeah, that's troubling. Yeah, that's kind of, in hindsight very scary probably at the time yeah. she you know just meant like oh that's where he's due to you know end up and you know be with her family but in hindsight it's a very scary thing that she said final
1: it's almost like a freudian slip or something yeah like he's saying something but like the subtext is much greater
2: yeah so next joyce dropped a startling revelation in the case she gave the boy's name According to her the boy was called Patrick Erhaber, or Erhaber, I can't pronounce I'm so sorry I'm butchering names but it's E R H A B O R His mother had had the surname Ahogo or Oghogo oh, Now Hugo. Oghogo O G H O G O Oghogo We'll go with that yes. <laughs> So Joyce and Patrick met when she was, quote, given the child during her time in Germany, and Patrick had been handed over into her care as a favour for the mother of Patrick, as according to Joyce, she was due to be deported.
0: Okay. From
2: Germany? um, Yeah, it looks like she was going to be deported from Germany back to um, an unspecified location. It doesn't say where she was deported back to. So after Patrick had been cared for by Joyce for a few weeks She then passed him over to a man known as Bawa Which I had a look I, you know, put it into Google Translate And in Malay this means to take or take it But Bawa is a Nigerian man So I don't think that is any sort of uh, significance, but I just thought it was interesting that that in Malay then it means to take or take it in the, in the terms of Adam. So Bawa has actually been formally identified as Kingsley Ojo, who first gained asylum in London in 1997 ooh the year after I was born. Um, as of right now, there is no forensic evidence that links Ojo to the murder of Adam or even that he was in any way involved with the trafficking of Adam. Ojo was arrested in connection to Adam's case in 2002 after police had found that he'd been using three different identities. So the only evidence that police have on Ojo is a plastic bag that they found in his flat and the bag contained bone fragments as well as sand and flecks of gold which are very similar to those that were found in Adam's stomach. However it has not been released if any of this evidence was ever forensically tested so we don't know if these were simply animal bones, because I know that animal bones are quite used, sorry, used quite often in other religious practices. In Ojo's flat, there was a video simply titled Rituals.
0: Uh, ooh,
2: uh-huh. that's, mm. that's um, ominous. Oh, it gets better. On the Ugh. video, oh sorry, yeah, the video, because this is 2002, wow. So it was like a VCR, I'm just picturing like an actual yeah, tape. cassette, yeah. Yeah, so this was like a, a whole video that you like got the sticker and you wrote on the side what it was. The good old days. Yeah, <laughs> I still have all mine. Oh my god, I wish I wish I still had all of mine. My
1: parents don't wish that they had all of mine, but they do have all of mine because I will not <laughs> let them bear with them.
2: <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> My mother
1: probably. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, just like, they'll be worth something to someone at some point. Keep hold of them. I might want to watch The Parrot Trap on VHS. <laughs> don't get rid of it. Yes. Like, I only have this on VHS. <laughs> I mean, we said the same about vinyls. My dad was born in 1958. He grew up. You know, when vinyls were a thing. And um he threw all of his vinyls away because he was like, Yeah. No, CD- no. I know, because yeah, because obviously with the emergence of CDs and stuff like that, he was like, No one will ever want vinyls again. And then oh when I turned 20 a couple of years ago, I was like, Dad, do you still have any of the vinyls? And he was like, Why would you want vinyls?
1: I think I feel physically Yeah, pain. My heart hurts right now. Oh yeah. I just looked at him and I was like,
2: why? So the video showed an actor cutting off the head of a man. So, as suspected, Ojo denied that this video was actually his, and apparently, it belonged to one of his housemates. Of course, it did. Um, and police oh, couldn't God. establish any connection of this video to Adam's case.
1: Oh my God! Okay, this is the part where I'm getting really mad because there's so many things where it's like, yes, they got it, they can figure this out, and they just
2: they, they know, just go, yep.
1: Because there's just, yeah, it's like you
0: have the lead, you have some evidence, but you can't.
2: Yeah, there's just not. Because in the UK, in the UK as well, like, no, I don't know if it still stands, but nobody, no crime. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's still a thing because we're, the criminal justice system here is still quite sketchy on circumstantial evidence. We don't like to do it. Oh my god, even though that's the only good evidence. Yeah, because obviously we have to, the jury has to find someone guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And if obviously there's any reasonable doubt, then mistrial. Adam's case went cold for two years before, in 2004, when Ojo was arrested for, get this, he was arrested for people smuggling. Hmm. Hmm. Which looks like it could be a step down from actual human trafficking, I'm not sure where uh that cuts off you know stuff like that um,
0: maybe like a more active role Like, yeah it, maybe it's people smuggling is like someone else is in charge and you're just kind of the accessory like to you're it.
1: the one driving the truck etc yeah. yeah or
0: yeah i mean i could i'm just talking on my ass yeah, i could
1: be totally like, wrong we, but we have,
2: we, we have no business saying anything ever but so... i'm gonna pretend that i know <laughs> yeah oh no that's that's that, uh, so that sounds reasonable or what i was thinking is in the terms of like people smuggling, it could be getting people across the border illegally without like you know the proper paper and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But it's very interesting like. that a suspect in a case where a child is believed to have been trafficked was charged with this.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's almost like he
2: could be involved. <gasps> you yeah. think? Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, during. Ojo's four-and-a-half-year prison sentence, that was it, he got four-and-a-half-years for people smuggling. Wow. Yeah, welcome to the UK. Um, He contacted the police and offered to help them in Adam's investigation. As many, many criminals do. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick. Just pointing that out there. So, as no evidence was uncovered in 2002, and Ojo had not come forward with any information since police determined that he was most likely just wasting their time in hopes of, you know, getting a reduced sentence or getting uh, released. Yeah, why wow, did that happen? Yeah. So for uh, messing around and wasting police time, Ojo was deported back to Nigeria.
0: <laughs> I just kind of love it. It's like, you know what? You're pissing us off. So goodbye to you. So get on this plane and go. Yes.
2: Yeah, British police were just like... We've had enough of your shit, we're yeeting you back to Nigeria, goodbye. So, in a further attempt to identify Adam, the police submitted evidence and then just tirelessly scoured Britain and Europe's missing children databases. However, this led to nothing.
0: Yeah, it was probably like a last resort type thing.
2: Yeah. Due to the 9-11 attacks that had happened just weeks before, the case was quite popular, but didn't really gain traction in terms of, you know, leads and people offering to, to help and call in. So that's that's quite sad. Because I know with us, because we border the States, like it was huge panic because we
0: have like the CN Tower. So a lot of things oh, gotcha. were shut down. So was it the same way over in the UK?
2: Well, I'm going to be honest and say that I don't remember 9-11. I think I was... Oh, I- Four or five, so I don't remember. Yeah, my fiancé remembers that he was uh, watching it on the TV and his mom was like, what the F is going on? You know, everyone was sort of in a bit of a panic. No one could really believe that it was true.
0: Yeah, same here.
2: Yeah, and then yeah. obviously, because London is a huge city, they have a huge population, mm-hmm. I think there was a few safety concerns in London about, you know, is this going to happen to us? We have two major airports and the UK has, you know, major thoroughfare for uh, international travel. So, you know, we're like the, the, I'd say like the stop between Europe and then getting to North and South America and Central, obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Um, also, like, there's a lot of cases like this where it happened in September 2001, but it didn't get the traction, even Mm -hmm. if, it wasn't necessarily an, an area where they were thinking there may be a terrorist attack. Like, attacked? attacked. Attack. Attack. Um, it's, it was still so pervasive. I just remember, like, in the 24-hour news cycle, it was all nine eleven all the time.
0: Yeah, I remember So, that.
1: like, there was really no outlet for these cases. Yeah. There was this big thing happening.
2: In comparison, um, we had the 7-7 attacks in London, mm-hmm. which oh, happened, yeah, yeah, 7th of July 2007, I believe, which was, I was 11, because that's the year I started secondary school, so I was 11, <laughs> and I, I remember that quite vividly. I remember where I was in, like, this uh, clothes shop called Dorothy Perkins, and it came over, like, the general radio that something had happened in London
1: mm.
2: and I remember one of the shop assistants being like quite worried because I, I believe she had a relative who lived in London and oh, yeah so she was like shit I need to go call my relative make sure everything's okay I just remember the just the pure panic just pandemonium yeah, yeah. so there is no wonder that cases that happen around these times don't get The attention that they deserve Because people don't know about them It's not because people don't care It's just that people just don't know about them Yeah In 2003, Metropolitan Police travelled to Nigeria In hopes of spreading awareness And hopefully tracking down Adam's parents They also travelled there To further investigate the link Between Adam's death and the occult In South Africa They met with detectives and muti experts Which is the ritualistic killing That I talked about Mm -hmm. earlier at the South African police service, which is called SAPs. Um, they suggested that Adam's death was most definitely ritualistic, and those orange sh- shorts suggested that Adam and the killer knew each other and were even possibly related. So I'm not I'm sure. sure get that from the
1: shorts though. That's weird. Yeah,
2: I'm not I think that's a bit of a, a stretch. I don't know.
1: Like, unless they were like, oh, there's DNA on these shorts and it not like they can I it don't know. It doesn't make sense because no kids are
0: not difficult to buy clothes for. They're all kind no. of generally in the same shape.
2: Perhaps, but maybe yeah. they're trying to insinuate that if it was someone that um didn't know him, maybe they wouldn't have cared to provide clothes for him. It's that element well, of possible care.
0: It the first thought I had with the shorts being the only piece of clothing was some kind of um why am I blanking on the word? Like a cover-up? A covering-up?
1: Modesty. modesty. There
2: you go. Oh, that's okay.
1: Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, yeah,
2: which makes sense. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Which you might not
0: care about if you didn't know the person.
2: Yeah, or yeah, if you're not related or you're not interested in a sexual aspect of that crime. Yeah. Which if you're going to abduct a child, I'm guessing that more than likely there is in your own sick mind, some sort of sexual aspect to yeah, that. Yeah, that generally seems to be the motive. The colour red in Muti Rituals is symbolic of resurrection, and since orange and red kind of close to each other in oh, the wow. colour wheel, um, police theorised that his killer or killers were trying to apologise to his soul in hopes that he, quote, may rise again. So that's the thought with the orange orangey red shorts yeah i do have a picture that i sent to you um right. the picture is of patrick the boy i talked about earlier and then the picture that's situated you know on the top right hand corner oh. is of a reconstruction of what the torso looked like so you can was see that
1: was a picture of. oh he's so cute i know i know okay. i just
0: and the orange shorts are we look Pretty red as well so I can yeah see that it's
2: then. A, like a burnt ready orange but yeah. again that's just approximation because we don't know how long they'd been in that river for as well so true yeah that's a good point and i'm pretty sure the river town is not very clean oh no you don't want to swim in that river yeah the second picture i sent you is near to where adam was found and you can see that it doesn't look the cleanest no,
1: mm. it looks quite muddy and yeah.
2: I do like that building though. That's nice. It's very nice. It looks like a Shakespearean. Uh, I want to say amphitheater. Yes, if I knew, like, I didn't want to sound like an idiot, but I was like, is that the Globe? Again, been to London once, hated it. Mm. It does look cuter style though. Yes, it's it's very it's nice, called. like architecturally wise.
1: Like to me, that looks like the Globe.
2: Hmm, I don't know. The I've never been. This is turning into a uh, geography time. <laughs> this is what
1: happens when you have the
2: internet. <laughs> this yeah. is like how not British I am because I've been to London once and I refuse to go back. I think that is the
0: Globe. Oh. Oh. I think. So. Okay, oh. you are correct. That is the Globe Theatre. Oh. So he was by the Globe Theatre then?
2: Yeah, close to the Globe Theatre, which is near the London Bridge. Okay, you get five points, because I didn't even know that. So, the orange shorts that are linked to the goddess Ocean that I spoke about earlier, um, they are featured heavily in Nigerian voodoo religions. So, either way, the main theory is that Adam was likely killed by someone who knew him very well, or that was related to him. Now, I'm going to get into some theories. The main and only real theory in Adam's case is that his death is linked to uh, the religion and practice of Orisha or some other variant of Nigerian voodoo. And she, Orisha, is the goddess of the river. Adam's body was found in the river. And that's how those two, you know, the connection was made. It seems that Adam was possibly part uh, part of a wider ring of human trafficking into the UK, so that adults would be able to perform these rituals. It seems that Adam's mother may have sold into one of these rings because um, she was either desperate for money, or, if we believe Joyce, she may have thought that Adam would have been getting a better life in London uh, after she was deported. Maybe the intentions of that trafficking ring weren't so obvious.
1: Oh, that's so heartbreaking.
2: Yeah, it is very heartbreaking to think that there could be a mother out there who thinks that her son is alive and and well, you know, and prospering and doing well for himself. Um, in and London.
0: Another thing um, I want to add about that is maybe if she were a practitioner of that, it would have been seen as an honor. I'm thinking of like with Mayan,
2: yeah, minor
0: aspect, but human sacrifices. Then it was considered an honor.
2: So yes. if she were
0: a practitioner of it, and her son is being sent to be a sacrifice, it could be
2: yeah either way all of those three possibilities are extremely sad yeah it really is so it's possible that adam's mother left with um him and joyce was in fact the one who sold adam into trafficking so maybe she promised um the boy's Mm -hmm. mother that he would have a better life with her in germany you know you're getting deported, but we'll keep in regular contact and then Joyce just decided to sell him. There is some evidence behind the human trafficking theory as uh, of July 2002, a Nigerian woman arrived from Germany into the UK, flaming that she, sorry Flaming, claiming that she had fled from a Yoruba cult. And as we know, Yoruba are one of the native peoples of Nigeria. And she had claimed that this cult had been practising ritual murders much like Adam's. It's a very oddly specific claim from someone to come from Germany into the UK and talk about Mm Yoruba. It just seems like it can't be a coincidence. Yeah. She further claimed that the cult had tried to kill her son for ritualistic purposes and that she knew that Adam had been murdered in London by his own parents. Police conducted a search of her apartment and found a pair of orange shorts, which, get this, had the same label as the ones that Adam had been wearing. Oh my god. Now, get this. This is the real twist. Surveillance of the woman led them to none other than Kingsley Ojo, who had been named in Adam's case before.
1: What?
2: Well, it's, we know he's
1: involved. No,
2: but I mean, like, like, there's so much evidence... This is like, full this is full circle. Yeah, that's exactly the word. It's so full circle. Mhm. Um he's been mentioned in Adam Adam's case before as I mentioned earlier like there is many times when police have come across Mr. Kingsley Ojo's name. But as I have also mentioned, there is no hard physical evidence to link either Joyce or Kingsley to the murder. trafficking of adam and therefore no charges have ever been brought against them wow yeah it's infuriating whilst there are many other theories floating around surrounding adam's murder that also found in the Thames on 21st of September 2001, has never been identified and the exact circumstances surrounding his death remain a mystery. The saddest part in Adam's case is the fact that there is a five to six year old boy that remains nameless and unclaimed. It is incredibly sad that Adam does not have any relatives that want to come forward to claim his body. Perhaps they are unaware that he is missing or because he, sorry, because they are involved. And to finish up the case, if you have any information that can lead to identification of Adam or the people or persons responsible for his death, please, I am urging you to contact the Metropolitan Police, which you can do if you're in the UK, you can ring 101, which is the non-emergency police number. Or I will ask Kat and Ali to leave a link to the uh, Met Police tip online form, it's anonymous. And you can also leave an anonymous tip at Crime Stoppers by calling 0800 555 or you can use the Crime Stoppers website.
1: We will definitely put those in our show notes.
2: Thank you. And I will send you the sources as well because I've got some BBC, some Daily Mail, some Guardian, uh, more BBC, more Daily Mail.
1: Uh, Amazing. Those will also be in our show notes. And thank you so much. It's all right. Thank you for having me. How have I never heard of this case? It's well, ten days after
0: nine eleven. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were in Canada.
2: Yeah. It's insane because the amount of people I talk to, like, you know, friends, family, whatever, no one's heard of this case. Even people, yeah, even people who live in London are just like, oh no, I don't know. That
1: is just it just goes to show um how much like sway the media has on what is reported. Exactly.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah. And because Adam was a little black child, I think the media were just like, well, meh. No matter which country you're in, the racial bias and, you know, uh, prejudice still is pretty strong and resounding, and I hate it. Yeah, it's disgusting. So I think I'm going to maybe write to an MP in London and maybe see if the police can get this reopened. I know we don't have much in terms of forensics, but I feel that since 2001, we've definitely moved on in terms oh, of techniques yeah, yeah completely. I mean even yeah even since I graduated in 2017 like some of the techniques have advanced so far since I like graduated um so that was Adam the torso in the Thames thank you guys
1: thank you I just remember I was listening to the episode that you did about this and my jaw like dropped I was listening to it at work and I was like I have to stop for a second yeah, that's this a, is just like too much. That's a heavy one to listen to while we're... So I guess I'll start on mine now. Yeah, that just leaves us with your identified case. Yeah. Okay, so this is a story that internet sleuths solved in 2016 without the use of DNA. Old school. old sleuthing. This is the case of Cheryl McMillan. And it fills me with such hope that there are people out there with the skill and the work ethic to sift through thousands of records to find these people and they're making a difference and solving cases. And it's what you want to see when you're reading Web Sleuths or Reddit. It's like, yes, we can do it. It's just very hopeful. And not just the crazy rabbit holes that (sighs) lead you from actually solving cases. Exactly. It's like a rabbit hole that actually did something. So that's amazing. Um, And this case completely gave me goosebumps. So I was like, I have to do this. So my sources are Unidentified Wiki, Doe Network, and two articles published by the Mercury News, One is from Brenda Gazar, Brenda Gazar, Gazar, from October 10th, 2016. And the other one was written by Brenda Gazar and Robert Salonga, dated October 11th, 2016. So here is the case of Cheryl McMillan. On June 8th, 1968, a young woman was found at 9.30 a.m. in Griffith Park in Los Angeles, having overdosed on morphine. She was sitting on a picnic bench and had her head down on the table. The woman looked to be in her 20s and she died just hours earlier. She had brown eyes, bleached blonde hair. She weighed 117 pounds and she was approximately five foot two to five foot five. She was wearing a tan or white overcoat, a red and white polka dot bikini and brown or black sandals. She also had a wedding ring on her finger. The county coroner had a tip that she was staying at the Hollywoodland Motel, which is about 15 minutes away from Griffith Park under the name Cheryl Miller, but they couldn't confirm the tips, so they filed her as a Jane Doe. I remember this one.
0: I don't know if I'd heard the solved part of it or not. Didn't thinking sideways. Did thinking sideways do this? I think so, but I'm not. But it would have been unsolved at the time. Okay, so they, I didn't know this
1: had been solved.
2: It has been solved. I That's not,
1: exciting. I I love thinking sideways, but I didn't know that they'd done this one. I hadn't heard I'm that one. Sure. And also, just a note that um, the Cheryl that they got a tip for, Cheryl Miller, her name is spelled S H E R R Y L, and this is the case of Cheryl C H E R Y L. So.
2: That is an that is quite an unusual spelling, Cheryl. It is. It's a quite unusual spelling.
1: Uh so as this was happening in Campbell, California, five to six hours north of LA, a family was missing Cheryl McMillan. She'd missed a dress fitting for her cousin Ellen's wedding, where she was going to be the maid of honor. So a maid of honor missing a dress fitting is a bit of a bit, a bit of, a, of a thing. Yeah, bit yeah, of a problem. Bit of a um, red um, flag. Yeah, so her family had known that Cheryl moved to L.A. after graduating from high school in Campbell. The Mercury News article by Brenda Gazar and Robert Salonga says she was living the, quote, proverbial bohemian life in 1960s Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, end quote. One of those hippies. (laughs) Yeah, she was a hippie, I guess. Visible Um,
2: eye roll from me here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the proverbial bohemian life. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of want to put that on my Tinder profile. I'm living Oh my Me <laughs> life. Oh, is that what this is? <laughs> Just getting tips from my Tinder. Um, it sounds like she wasn't really communicating with family at the time. Her mother actually hired a PI to find her. And when the private investigator did find her, Cheryl told him that she was fine and to leave her alone. Like, Mom, I'm fine. You don't need to do this. That's what I'm just picturing, like, just being really yeah, frustrated. Yeah, yeah. And how old was she again? Uh, she, oh, I didn't put it here, but she was, yeah, so she was about 21. She's a grown uh, woman. Yeah. But I, young enough to still be like,
2: I'm going to do what I want. I mean, to be fair, I moved away from home when I was 18, so.
1: Eh. Yeah, both mm. me and my sibling were like, peace out. We're 17. We're leaving. <laughs> Later. So like, we just need to go do our thing. So the PI found her and she was like, leave me alone. Um, But she confided in a few relatives of her involvement in drug running from Baja, California to Guadalajara, Mexico. Guadalajara. How far is that by the way? Oh, that's a good question. Let me, I don't think it's that it. far. I don't think it's that far either.
0: Google Maps really does not want to give us a way to get no, there by car. They- I'm like, don't, I'm like,
1: Maps, you can take this road. Um, so Ellen Ellen, who is the cousin who is getting married, told Mercury News that quote, I just figured somehow while running drugs she got killed or captured, or was sitting in a Mexican jail, end quote. So here is where the sluice come in. Carl Copelman, who does excellent facial reconstructions. We love
0: him. I love Carl. We love you, Carl. Carl's so
1: great. Um, He saw her photo on the LA County Coroner's website in 2010 and uploaded a facial reconstruction he created to WebSleuth and Facebook. So at this point, I'm going to pull up the photo that he saw on that website.
2: Let's have a looky
0: look. Yeah, that would be... It doesn't look like an autopsy photo, but it looks like...
1: Maybe an autopsy photo. I just assumed that it was probably an autopsy photo.
2: Yeah, it looks possibly... I I don't know. I want to say in situ, but if she was sat at a bench, then... Yeah, and it's hard to
0: see what the paper next to her So I'm just going to say it's an autopsy photo, or at least a crime. Yeah,
1: some sort of code that they were using. Yeah. So Carl said to the Mercury News, quote, she looked almost like Marilyn Monroe. I was thinking that. It looks a lot like Marilyn Monroe's autopsy photo. It really does. So yes, she is like gorgeous in this photo. And here is Carl's reconstruction. It's the top one.
2: Wow. Um,
1: Okay. So put the Hollywood sign because she was- Oh, Griffith Park. Park. So this photo did the intranet rounds, the usual- Yeah. The usual rounds- and DNA testing was not possible in this case. Carl no. commented on a Mercury News article with the info that Cheryl's remains were cremated and buried in a no. county cemetery oh. along with other unidentified people. Oh. So exactly why? Right,
2: I know it's like the, the exact opposite of what we should do. Was she was well, sorry? Was this cremation done when she was still listed as a Doe? Yeah. Yes. What? What were you doing? Why? <laughs> right, like. Oh my God. On. Carr was sending his letter to the psychic in Florida. <laughs> yes, it's very this much is, like,
1: do you want this case solved?
2: This is literally like a checklist of what not to do in a Jane Doe case. Step number one, don't cremate the body.
1: So uh, so she was in this like mass cremation Ugh. situation buried with other unidentified uh. people. So extracting her DNA was not an option and fingerprints weren't available and dentals were not available either. Do they have the clothes at least? I guess so, but I didn't like, I didn't see any photos of them. We were covering this as a doe. We'd be like, I don't think this case is going to get solved. No, I'd be saying unless they have the clothes, because then they can get DNA from
0: that.
2: Even then though, that is a very slim, you know, pool of evidence to work with.
1: It really is. So now enter Rita Hood, who used to work with Carl. She saw the reconstruction of Cheryl on Carl's Facebook page. She's an amateur genealogist, and she got to work looking at records from 36 states. Remember that wedding ring that Cheryl was wearing? It had an inscription on it which said CB to EJ 9420. So she's probably EJ. Nope, she's CB from what I know. She's neither. Damn it. Searching for popular names at the time because 9420 is like... September fourth, nineteen twenty. Oh, duh! So an arrow. Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna be.
2: Ah, no, that's- okay.
1: Um. So Rita started searching for popular names at the time for women starting with E. Then she looked for women with those names who had surnames that started with J. And then she narrowed down the list to only include women who had married a man with the in- with the initials C B on September fourth, nineteen twenty. So it took wow. her four weeks to find a match. Um, But on September 4th, 1920, Edna Lydia J. married Charles J. Bush in Detroit, Michigan. So Rita found their grandson, John, who was living in California, and she called him. John was a young child when Cheryl went missing. He says he remembers Cheryl doting on him. John stated to the Mercury News that, quote, he was heartened by the notion that his sister never thought to pawn her Mm -hmm. grandmother's ring all those years ago Mm -hmm. when she was in a case of drug use especially given its role in restoring her name Aww. and some semblance of clarity to his family. She wasn't just another heroin drug addict found in the park. She was my sister, unquote.
2: That is incredible work by Rita. Like, round of applause. It's just like
1: the perseverance to be like, I'm going to check all of these records.
2: The dedication.
1: So at this point, I think everyone was pretty certain that Cheryl was the Griffith Park Jane Doe. But when Rita brought this case to the police, they had to confirm it, obviously. Um, So Detective Mario Santana interviewed the relatives of Cheryl and asked for any information they might have that could lead to identifying her, like facial scars, etc. And she was confirmed as the Griffith Park Jane Doe on September 22nd, 2016. So a note about the name that police got a tip about, Cheryl Miller. She was dating a man at the time with the last name Miller, so she was oh. using that name as a surname. So oh, I'm thinking she did okay. that to avoid detection while drug running. So she was only 21 at the time when she died, and she had been missing and unidentified for 48 years. Yeah, yeah she was really, really young. And Ellen, who was the cousin whose wedding Cheryl missed, says that her image of Cheryl remains as a friendly and adventurous cousin. She told Mercury News, quote, we always wondered. We were pretty close in a tight knit family. We would just always hope that someday she would find us, unquote. And Cheryl's mother unfortunately died two years before Cheryl was identified. And Cheryl's brother, John, now considers Rita part of his family. That's so sweet yeah it's really yeah. sweet and i'll put the WebSleuth link to cheryl's thread in the show notes if you want to read it i just found it kind of interesting where you can see in real time people being like Which oh is my really god cool. yeah it was it's an interesting read and i also have sent a uh-huh. photo of cheryl like an actual photo of cheryl oh, 60s eyebrows
0: it's like we're going to start about a third Here. of the way maybe a quarter of the way over the eye and you can see how different people look like even if she had like drug use and stuff you can see how different people look in life versus in death because your muscles just go
1: yeah completely like just completely i guess slack
2: yeah Yeah. because in that autopsy picture she looks like she could be not a lot older than 21 but she definitely looks towards the end of her 20s
1: oh totally yeah i could see that
2: yeah yeah It's not so much a sprightly, fresh-faced, young 21-year-old, obviously. With the circumstances, she looks like she could be a lot older.
1: And I think that shows, like, when, if you're, like, doing some sleuthing online, maybe don't cancel any, don't rule anybody out just based on what their age range might be. Yeah,
0: Because we've had that, and also the skeleton. There are certain conditions and things that will age your skeleton differently than you actually.
2: I never knew that. Yeah. So when I was at uni doing, obviously, I did a unit on crime scene investigation, and one of the <laughs> first things they sat down and said to us was like, ABC, assume nothing, believe not, believe nothing, check everything. I love that. It's very true. Yeah, very, very true.
1: I don't do anything to do with forensics, but I'm going to take that
2: <laughs> motto and bring it to my work. Take that, yeah. Remember the, the ABCs of crime scene investigation? That is in- an incredible case where just no DNA was used. Like, obviously, you see the emergence of solved cases now with with genealogy and stuff, and it's so heavy on the DNA. It's like, we tracked this family member, that family member, we went, you know, X, Y, and Z, and everything's DNA-linked. So it's really interesting to see what a bit of good old detective work can do.
1: Yeah, and just, like, the perseverance. Oh,
2: God,
0: yeah. But also, this is what happens after familial DNA. Because it's not, when familial DNA isn't, oh, it's this person, it's, okay, we've got this person, now we have to look at records surrounding that person mm-hmm. to see who they're related to, and oh. then you have to go with old-fashioned marriage records and all of that. That's, it's, not, it's not just like a little pop-up with no, like yeah. confetti, and then you start figuring, branching out from that person, figuring out who they're related to, figuring out which of their yeah. relatives in the area or the right age range or anything at the time and then you that's how that works and then you do dna testing with the person you think is the suspect
2: i think that's yeah one of the larger misconceptions around like any sort of forensic investigation is that like you know you throw some dna into some instrument and you do some mad typing and then all of a sudden a pop-up comes up and it's like it would it was him that's not the case yeah
1: well we've done all of our cases no, we don't have a soapbox for today, I don't think. No, I don't have a soapbox for today. Do you have a soapbox, Emma? Do you have anything that you want to tell yeah, the world? About?
2: I don't think so. I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you for having me on. I do like to yammer on. So thank you for allowing me to yammer on about a dough case. I massively appreciate it.
1: Well, we love nothing more than hearing you yammer on about and <laughs> on yammer. Yeah. yeah, you know
0: what it sounds like before we edit it with
2: editing out <laughs> yeah. like all of our
0: conversations.
2: Oh my god! Yeah, see, this is so different to what I do because I'm a solo host. So usually, right. the only other sound I hear is like my fiance like <clears throat> in the background or someone <laughs> out, someone hoovering the car at like eleven o'clock at night outside.
1: Evidence. They're destroying evidence. Yes. (laughs) Why else would someone Hoover, I nearly said Hoover a guitar. Well, also evidence. (laughs) If it's a woman vacuuming their car, they're destroying evidence. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully we can do another recording session at some point. Because that was really,
2: really fun. That would be great. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming
1: on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So to end it, I just realized we should, um, we should all do like our Where You Can Find Us.
2: Yep. So if you've enjoyed the episode that I've done with the lovely Cat and alley, you can catch me just by myself. Uh, just search the True Crime Witch Podcast. I'm available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, anywhere else that you get your podcasts. I also have a Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash pod. You can get early access to episodes plus exclusive stuff, I guess. (laughs) And if you want to catch up with me, I am most active on Instagram, which is at True Crime Witch Podcast. I post a lot of pictures, you know, a lot of stuff about serial killers. And then for if you want to hear me uh, ramble on, you can follow me on Twitter, which is just at True Crime Witch. I'm most active on Twitter. So say hi. Yeah, I would highly
1: recommend Emma's podcast. It's really great. And you can tell when you're listening to it that Emma really cares about the people that she's talking about. So Thank you. It's always a good lesson. And if you want to find us, we are at Dope Podcast on Instagram. We are at Dope Podcast on, on Twitter. Facebook,
0: Twitter. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Graham. And
1: if you want to send us in a case suggestion, you can email us at DoughPodcast at gmail.com. We love case suggestions. And by the time that this episode comes out, our new website will be live. Oh, that's right. Ooh. I
0: forgot about that already.
1: Yeah, so that is dopodcast.com And there's also a form on that. Website where you can send in case suggestions. Girl, I've just been like, what have I been doing?
0: I had a A lot lot of of time because I'm not working right now. I was making Joey pouches. Oh
1: yeah. Oh. They looked great. I saw your Facebook. Thank you. Nothing to add. We never know how to end it, so we We... always just yell bye. Of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bilingualism. Okay. Bilingualism. Three, two, one, bye (laughs) bye.